0: Well, please do come with me to Philippians this evening, uh, and as Nigel said, it's, it's wonderful to have Andrew with us. Andrew, we really look forward uh, to hearing from you in just a few moments, but we're going to go to Philippians chapter 4 this evening, uh, and usually uh, we do chart through a series, but on the last Sunday night of the month, we, we take a pause from that and we answer a big question, uh, and so that's why uh, we're looking forward to having Andrew here this evening. We'll not be in Romans. We'll be back there next week, but tonight, Philippians chapter 4. And so I'm going to ask you to begin to read with me from verse 1. So, Philippians chapter 4 tonight. If you're picking up a Pew Bible, you'll find that on page 1180. So, page 1180 from Philippians. This is God's word to us. Therefore, my brothers, you who I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord. Dear friends, I plead with Odia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal Yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord. Always, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. And we thank God for His Word to us this evening.
1: Well, good evening, everyone. It's lovely uh, to be with you here again at at Hill Street. Um, Thank you, Nigel, for the welcome, and John for the welcome and, and your praying and, and leading, and uh, lovely to be singing these songs together, which really means so much in all of the, the struggles that we face in life, the truths that we've been singing together. Um, I was looking back, actually, it was, uh, it was nearly 10 years, actually, since not since I've been here, but since I did a talk similar to this, so I did not think I had to change it a little bit uh, coming back tonight, because no doubt some of you might have been here, and um, not that I'm expecting you would have remembered very much uh, from Ten, 10 years ago. Uh, we've, we've called um, uh, the talk this evening, Hope in an Anxious World. I have shamelessly pinched that from a book by my colleague, Helen Thorne, uh, which I would really recommend. There's only, I think, one copy <laughs> at the front here. There are a few other resources uh, which I'd encourage you to look at, but I'd, I'd really encourage you to, to think about picking up this book. Um, She says all that I want to say much better, much clearer, much more simply, in a more readable way in this little book. Wonderful. Uh, So, do think about coming along and and, uh, grabbing the last copy of that and a few other bits and pieces here too about BCUK and some other resources in relation to caring for one another and dealing with anxiety. I thought I'd begin this evening by giving a little scenario from my own experience of anxiety. Um, I had thought about choosing a, a driving lesson with my daughter, uh, Hope, who's 18, but I've brought her here tonight, so I can't really do that. Um, although we did laugh then about the title of the talk, which was Hope in an Anxious World, and we thought we could maybe switch it to Hope with an Anxious Dad, or <laughs> Hope in, in an Anxious Car, or something like that. But um, I we thought we'd, we'd, we'd switch it round and uh, I'll give you a little scenario from the last couple of weeks in my life. Um, a couple of weeks ago I, I faced one of my old enemies, videos. Now you're thinking, watch, watching videos? No, it wasn't watching a video, it was actually being filmed in a video. Uh, We were filming some short videos in relation to work. Now, mine was only a a short video. It was about one minute, but I wanted to get it word perfect. Now, I was already a little bit nervous going into it. The background was that um, my my history of being able to do videos like that is a bit patchy. Um, I had to do one a number of years back, and um, it took me somewhere between 20 and 30 takes uh, to do a, a kind of a 20-second video, <laughs> and this was on my own in my study with my, with my iPhone. Um, so here we are, um, and I hadn't quite learned my lines uh, for this little video, um, and there was no obvious way of accessing my notes, so I was already feeling a little bit nervous about that. And it had been playing on my mind for a few days, a slight uh, dread hanging over me um, about this video, a nervousness in my stomach if it crossed my mind. And when it did cross my mind, it would usually be imagining the scenario, uh, visualizing how it might go, and doubting that it would go smoothly. Now, you're probably thinking, you know, this guy standing up talking to us, why is he nervous about a video? Okay, I don't know why I was nervous about a video, but, 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 but that was that, we were. So, anyway, there I am with my uh, colleague who's filming, and I begin, and I get the first sentence or two out, and then I hesitate, and I stutter, and my mouth's getting dry, and I'm trying to swallow, and I say, no, no, let's do that again, and we have another go, and it's, ah! Now, let's take it from that line again. Um, To add to this, a colleague had done their video and had done it first time, nailed it. And she had about three minutes to do. And so I was feeling the the pressure um, of this as well, as I have to keep stopping and stumbling and stuttering uh, my way through (laughs) this video. A few goes later, and uh, my colleague, who is doing the filming, patiently says, I think we have enough here to piece something together. And uh, he brought the pain to an end, (laughs) and that that was the filming over. Now, in one sense, it's not a major event, it wasn't a huge deal, but I came away feeling slightly disappointed, slightly embarrassed, a bit defeated, and just somewhere wrestling with it all in my mind. Now, doing a video, it's not an everyday experience for for us all. You, You have your version of whatever you're facing in life that can cause you a degree of anxiety, but we will all face anxiety in some shape or form and to some Degree. And we want to think just for a moment about the experience of anxiety. Um, what is this thing called anxiety? What words would you put to it? Well, feelings of being unsettled, perhaps, feeling tense, being restless, being ill at ease, you're nervous, you're fearful. And, and often there, there can be a great sense of dread if it's something that you're particularly anxious about. You might also feel with that lots of, of experiences in your body, things going on physically. You can be trembling. You can be feeling shaky. You can have an aching back and shoulders. Some people get tension, headaches, or a lightheadedness. For some it's a a chest tightness, palpitations. Your heart begins to to thump. Your mouth can go dry. You're maybe sweating. You need to run to the bathroom. You have trouble swallowing. They might feel nauseous. Uh, Feelings of of unreality can sometimes hit us when anxiety comes in. It's as if I don't feel real or the world around me doesn't feel very real. Sometimes we're, we're, we're we're jumpy. There's a bit more of a you might call an exaggerated startle. Some people also get a bit of irritability, or not sleeping so well or, or fatigue as well. So it affects us physically. It affects our feelings, it affects us physically. But you might also think a little bit about the, the kind of thoughts that we get with anxiety. This is going to be a disaster. It's all going to go wrong. It will never work out. I'll be alone. Those can be some of the thoughts, but more often than not in our minds when we're anxious, it plays out in in images, doesn't it? We kind of imagine the worst. Anxiety, you see, tends to live in the future. and it, It tends to kind of play out the worst case scenario. And in these scenarios, we tend to focus on something bad going, that's going to happen. There's going to be something hard up ahead. It feels like danger. The danger, perhaps, of, of losing something that's valuable to us our health. We can get anxious about our health, our money, our time. There's going to be too much to do in too little time, our relationships our reputation. Something important to us like that is under threat. And as we look ahead and visualize that, we begin to feel anxious. And these thoughts, then, they, they distract us, don't they? they? They divide our minds. I find that, in, as I said, in the run-up to this little, little video clip. They, Your thoughts get distracted. It's interesting that the word in the New Testament, the word that John uh, read for us from the passage in in Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing, the word actually means to be divided, to have a divided mind. It means to be distracted. Divided in your thoughts. And that kind of distraction then, it, it, it weighs in on us, doesn't it? And it can grow from this kind of fleeting, passing, idea that just causes this momentary shot of fear, and then it kind of passes and you move on to something else, it can, it can grow from that into this dark, foreboding cloud of preoccupation that just seems to stay there. Now, as, as I describe this experience of anxiety, I'm sure that, that many can identify uh, with that. And sometimes we we link, don't we, the ideas of fear and anxiety. And we could almost use them interchangeably, fear and anxiety. Perhaps maybe for our talk this evening, we'll think of anxiety a bit more as the experience, the way it comes out, the things I've just described, anxiety. And then we'll we'll, we'll, we'll think of fear as what's going on underneath the surface, okay? Underneath the bonnet, if you like is fear. The the word anxiety, it's an interesting word. It actually means to to choke or to be be tightened or to be constricted. And, you know, it can feel like that, can't it? You know, you're feeling anxious and everything feels tightened and constricted. Uh, The feeling of fear, the feeling of being worried, this unease, this trouble in our mind, this apprehension that's caused by danger or misfortune or error or this unease of mind respecting some kind of uncertainty. The the, the psychiatric use of the word anxiety actually dates back just to the beginning of the last century. Probably it was our old friend Freud who who first kind of brought it into the realm of mental health and uh, psychiatry. But as I say, the word anxiety, we'll use that to focus on the experience, whereas this word fear, as I say, it's more underneath the bonnet. It's more what's going on underneath and driving the experience of the anxiety. Fear says, I'm in danger. There's a threat up ahead. There's a threat to something I love and I don't have control over it. There's a threat close by and I feel in danger and I don't want this. Okay, that's what fear is saying. We see fear in everyday life. It can pop up in all kinds of places. Fear and, and worry can be, if you like, the, the background noise to your life, like that background kind of white noise that you, you sometimes get on a, a channel that isn't tuned in, or at least you used to, maybe you don't now. That shows you my age. But it's the background noise to everyday life. That, that background noise where we're concerned about our safety, the safety of um, loved ones, where we're concerned maybe about our health, we're concerned about the future, we're concerned even about death and how we might die. We're concerned about being unloved or alone. We're concerned about being hurt by other people. We're concerned about losing those things that are important to us. That background noise that goes on in our lives, worry, Sometimes, though, anxiety and fear, they they crop up in our dreams. Um, Have you had a a dream of being lost, um, or being followed, or falling, or being embarrassed? I've I've had dreams of, you know, standing up at a meeting like this and having no notes and no notion what I was here to speak about. And it's, it's fear. It's, it's obviously somewhere in my, in my mind that kind of scenario is being put together. Or uh, maybe dreaming about missing an important appointment. Uh, fear and worry that come up in, in, uh, in stress, when the demands get too much, the worry that I won't be able to cope with the demands that are coming at me. Sometimes you find anxiety and fear in angry and defensive people. Um, when you think about it, anger also happens, can happen, when our goals come under threat. I've said about fear being, you know, our, our, what we love is being threatened, if you like. We fear that we're going to lose that. Well, in a sense, anger is the same kind of thing. We, we feel under threat, and our plans are frustrated, um, and we come across as angry or defensive, but actually underneath the anger with some people is fear, a fear of what will happen if we don't get what we want. Self-esteem issues. We hear a lot about self-esteem, don't we, today? Again, in the mix there, underneath can be a fear of what other people will think about us, a fear concerning our reputation. When we're too busy, um, are, you know, are you the kind of person who can't stop? Do you, you, you don't like peace and quiet. You always have to have the TV on. Again, maybe there's something we're avoiding. Maybe, again, fear is underneath the surface there. We can see fear in superstitions. Do you touch wood? Do you avoid cracks in pavements? Uh, do people sitting in restaurants behind you get shard of salt? Um, uh, do you read your stars? Um, again, those kind of superstitions, underneath that can be a fear. If things are not in control. We want things to be in control. And actually, anxiety and fear, it's not all bad. <laughs> Anxiety and fear can be helpful. They can help us to avoid dangers. We live in a world, as we'll see, of dangers. And, and anxiety and fear can help us to be alert, can, can motivate us to deal with things, can help us to meet the demands of life. Um, but of course, the feelings of anxiety and the, the, the strength of fear in our life can become too much, can become too strong, and pe- can begin to interfere with life. And let's look for a moment at the different ways that we see fear interfering uh, with life. Um, we can see it in, in things like, and these are some of the, the ways that whenever fear and anxiety grow and become a problem that interferes, these are some of, I suppose, the mental health problems that can arise when that happens. You might have heard of generalized anxiety disorder, it's really just the technical term for that anxiety that I described at the beginning this evening, that that experience of anxiety, uh, our feelings, our thinking, our, our behavior, and so forth. Generalized anxiety is a persistent anxiety and worry that's out of proportion to the actual events or circumstances. And that's important because it reminds us that, you know, some anxiety and worry can be natural and normal, but then sometimes it just, it gets out of proportion. It becomes Over fear, it becomes too much anxiety. And when that begins to stay and and remain with you in a way that's not usual for you over weeks or months, then that can be called a generalized anxiety uh, disorder. It begins to then interfere with your concentration, your day to day performance, it becomes a distracting problem to you. You get that experience of anxiety that we described at the beginning, but remember what's what's going on in your body. You're perceiving some kind of threat up ahead, whether it's real or whether it's imagined. And whenever your mind perceives that kind of threat, then your nervous system kicks into action. It's part of how God has created us. We sang about that a moment ago, about the Father who has created us. Well, He's created us In such a way that our nervous system will kick into gear when we see a threat and we start to have adrenaline flying around our bodies and getting us ready for action. There's an alarm reaction there. The the fight, fright, flight or sometimes freeze response. It can be very handy if you're stepping out onto a, a road and you think the coast is clear, suddenly a motorbike appears out of nowhere That anxiety, that fight uh, or flight or fright can be really important because it will help you to be alert and to jump back and to get out of the way. Uh, Your body is getting ready to meet that demand, that threat that's coming at you. As I say, though, sometimes that normal reaction then grows into something that's disproportionate. You get generalized anxiety problems. We can also get panic attacks. You'll have heard of panic attacks. You may well have have suffered a panic attack. Those sudden, very unexpected surges of anxiety. They're often not related to any particular situation. You get those feelings and emotions that we described at the beginning. You get catastrophic thoughts. You're terrified that something bad is happening. You're losing control. Maybe you're going mad. Maybe you're dying. Maybe you're going to collapse and have a heart attack. People often think they're going to faint, Um, so you get catastrophic thoughts, and with that kind of uh, feeling coming over you, you just want to escape from wherever you are. You want to make an exit, and that can lead to avoidance of the situation where you experience that panic attack. Normally it will just last a few minutes, it peaks, it passes off again, it can leave you feeling fairly wiped out and exhausted, and they're fairly alarming. But they do stop. They do die die down on their own. And they actually, despite the fact that they feel so horrendous, they really can't harm you physically. Um, But they are often followed by a persistent fear of having another attack like that, a panic attack. Uh, Another kind of anxiety is uh, uh, our phobias, where we have fear of specific situation. So, again, similar pattern of thinking and feeling and behavior, but this time it's related to a specific situation you might have, or a specific object. You might have, for example, a, a phobia of dogs. Now, you can be okay then when there are no dogs around, but if you see a dog, what happens? You're perceiving a threat and you get the nerves in your stomach, the sweaty palms, the dry mouth, the increased breathing, the other symptoms, you feel very anxious inside, you feel something terrible is going to happen, you perceive the dog as a threat, and you want to get away, you want to avoid the feared object. And so phobias can lead to this kind of avoidance of the feared thing, but of course, as you can imagine, that tends to make the phobia worse, because you're now not facing The thing at all that will not help you uh, with your anxiety and it can begin to to dominate a person's life. Uh, Someone who has a fear of flying might just never ever go near a plane so it'll mean long boat journeys and long journeys across land to get to places because they will never get on a plane. We we usually realize that there is no real danger And we can feel silly about it and and annoyed about it, but still we feel unable to control it. It can be a very frustrating form of anxiety. There are all kinds of types of of phobia, Um, agoraphobia, fear of crowded places like this, fear of places, the agora, the the, the marketplace. Um, So fear of crowded places, fear of open spaces, Um, And actually that one can be associated with panic attacks and if you have a panic attack in a crowded place or an open place or the middle of Tesco's, often people will want to just abandon their trolley and escape and move and then of course trying to go back to the the Tesco's again becomes a big challenge for for folks that have have struggled with that. Uh, Claustrophobia, again another example. Confined spaces, the fear of confined spaces. Remember, it's a specific object or situation that the anxiety is attached to in that. And then, of course, you could probably guess this next one, a social phobia is going to be that kind of fear or anxiety that is related to to people. What the Bible might might, uh, call a fear of man. Again, same pattern of thinking and feeling, and so forth, but this time it's in relation to situations where you're going to be evaluated by other people, okay? Think think my video scenario, okay? Uh, Fear of scrutiny by other people, Um, especially in relatively small groups where we feel under the microscope. Uh, Maybe a job interview. We all hate something like that, don't we? Um, You're there, you're under the microscope. Uh, Public speaking. of us can certainly identify with that one um, first dates or first encounters um, uh, with the opposite sex for example eating in public sometimes people find it very very difficult to eat in public same kind of, of thing social phobia and you, you, your fear there is that others are going to evaluate you negatively um, they're, they're, you're, you feel that you're in some kind of performance situation and you've got this excessive fear that it's all going to go wrong and you're going to embarrass yourself and you're going to look silly um, and you worry that people are going to be critical of you, you're going to do something embarrassing. Um, It's a kind of a, I suppose at the everyday end, it's a shyness, but it then moves along to a kind of a shyness that begins to interfere uh, with life. As I say, I think in Scripture, we have something on to that with with, with the fear of man. And there is a spectrum from the everyday. Remember, we all can feel anxious. We can all get this fear and anxiety. But then sometimes in some of these conditions, it begins to to morph across and develop into something that becomes more uh, interfering uh, with life. Uh, Obsessive-compulsive disorder is another one there, Um, a condition in which there are uh, obsessions, uh, these unwanted, intrusive, repetitive thoughts or doubts, sometimes images or urges, the kind of themes in OCD are things like uh, harm from contamination or making a mistake about something or even blasphemous thoughts people can have. People realize it's their own thoughts, but it's a very, very distressing uh, condition. And when we get those sort of obsessive thoughts those intrusive thoughts then we want to try and do something to get rid of them and because they're in our heads we can't really run away from them so we try to do something else to try and extinguish them and that's where the compulsions come in Uh, we maybe begin to check or we we clean if there's a for example if the obsession is around contamination then we want to clean and clean and clean to try and get rid of the the anxiety in our heads that we're going to spread some kind of disease, checking, cleaning, repeating things, not enjoyable, not profitable, um, and yet the person feels they can't help it. They feel that they're preventing something terrible happening by doing this, and they feel so responsible. And and that's what it often is at its core. The fear in in obsessive-compulsive disorder is this fear that you're going to create harm, you're going to be responsible for something terrible happening if you don't um, perform these compulsions. And then post traumatic stress disorder. Um, and there's something different again another kind of fear and anxiety. This time the person has faced some kind of overwhelming, threatening event a car crash, victim of assault. Um, and the way that the anxiety begins to manifest itself is often with a kind of reliving of the experience that you've had, so you get these uh, memories, intrusive memories, sometimes called flashbacks, sometimes they happen when you're sleeping and you get nightmares. Um, you can uh, avoid again, avoid the, pl- any, the place or even anything related to the kind of life-threatening experience you've had, so there's avoidance, and the person will often become hyper-alert so remember we said anxiety, that adrenaline begins to make us kind of alert and ready for action, but whenever you face something that's been overwhelming and life-threatening, well then you can see how that might go into overdrive, and you become hyper-alert, hyper-vigilant, over-anxious in that way. So remember, we're trying to understand here, first of all, the experience of anxiety, how it affects our feelings and our thinking and how we behave, and we're seeing now that That anxiety, though it can be normal for all of us, it can sometimes then get exaggerated into these other problems, these other patterns, and these are some of the mental health uh, struggles that we have with fear and anxiety. Let me try and pull all of this together just as we move on through uh, this evening. What, What are we saying as we're trying to understand anxiety? We're saying, first of all, that we live in a world of threats, and demands, a world of threats and demands, right from the, the everyday small things, the kind of thing I started with, the video or whatever it might be in your life, through to something major, the kind of PTSD scenario that we have mentioned. But it's a world of threats and demands. It could be as common as your day-to-day work. I mean, who, who doesn't feel a bit anxious going out to work on a Monday morning. And let's be honest, it sometimes begins on a Sunday evening, doesn't it? Um, We can feel anxious about heading off to work. We can feel anxious about relationships and family. Those are everyday demands that are part of living in this world that we face that can bring about the response of anxiety. But of course, we can move into threats as well, where something valuable to us comes under threat of loss. Now again, that can still be at an everyday level, there are physical dangers. You know, we're vulnerable every time you cross a road, in a sense you're vulnerable, you can feel anxiety. There are dangers in a sense in relationships. Uh, You can fall out with people, there can be the danger of rejection, losing your reputation, losing a relationship, being alone. We can all have money problems, money losses. Again, that's a threat to us, it can create anxiety. Health anxiety, again, losses in all kinds of ways there, illness and injury. Aging, in a sense, is a form of loss as well that that can uh, create anxiety for us. Um, So all kinds of even common threats to us, a world of demands and threats that can give rise to anxiety from the everyday right through to something more major. We've seen, secondly, then, that this... Anxiety, it registers in our bodies. We are embodied souls. We are embodied people. Adrenaline, remember, begins to flow whenever we're facing this kind of threat. And it can be natural, stepping across the road and something's coming along. It's a natural and a good thing. And yet, in our bodies, we experience this anxiety differently. Everybody in this room will experience anxiety in a very individual way. We all have individuals, individual strengths and weaknesses, and this influences our anxiety, the way we experience it in our bodies. I think, for example, that, that I probably feel stress and nervousness more than some other people I know. I have a friend, and he would say that he just never feels anxiety. And I think, what must that be like to have someone who just doesn't seem to feel anxious? Um, And yet I think my body, the body I've come to know, is a bit more attuned to feeling stress than, than other people. And that's just a matter of difference. It's a matter of strength or weakness. It's how God has created me. It's how God has wired me together. I was thinking as John was was praying and praying just wonderfully leading us to the Lord with with Psalm 139. You know, God has, has, has created us in these individual ways. He's weaved us together in these individual ways. We have our individual strengths and weaknesses. I maybe don't feel very confident in front of a camera. I maybe find it hard to learn a script, word perfect. I maybe find it hard to get that flow and to articulate and find my words in that kind of situation. And that just, it's not a sinful thing, it's just a matter of strength and weakness and gifting. The kind of created differences that are part of living in this body, living in a weakened body that God has gifted and that God has allowed there to be weaknesses in, and yet Those, that kind of anxiety in my body, it contributed to my experience that day. So we live in this world of threats and demands. We all have different bodies and anxiety registers in our bodies from the normal through to this interfering again. But emotions reflect our hearts as well. Anxiety is a response to a threat that tells a story about your heart. Remember, underneath the bonnet, there is fear. It tells a story about what your heart values and what your heart fears. Fear and anxiety are telling a story about what you fear. It tells us about what you don't want. It tells you about yourself. I don't want danger. I don't want embarrassment. I don't want financial insecurity. I don't want to lose that relationship. I don't want to lose my health. I don't want to die. And the flip side of those those fears is that we find those things important. We fear them Because we find them important, we value them, we don't want them to be threatened. I don't want my life and my health and my relationships and my financial security and my reputation, I don't want those things to be threatened, I don't want to lose them. Fear is telling a story about our hearts, about what we fear, about what we value. It is also telling us that we are vulnerable. We are not fully in control. Life can be demanding and dangerous. There are accidents. People can be against us. People can be critical of us. We will get things wrong. Embarrassing things can happen. We can lose what we value in life. Life is unpredictable. Death will come. We are vulnerable. Fear and anxiety are also telling a story about how we, how our hearts interpret the future. I think there will be danger. Remember, fear looks forward. Fear is, is telling this story about the future. There's danger ahead, and yet we also have Scripture bringing us this story of hope. And there's a sense then when we think, begin to, to, to think about that, fear seems to reflect some kind of test for us in the face of these threats. Now, follow through on this with me for a moment. Remember what we've said. There are threats in this world. We live in a world of threats and demands. There are dangerous things out there, and we can lose the things that we love. And so, some fear is natural fear. It's not wrong to want good health. That's a good thing to want. And to experience some fear or concern or anxiety if your health is threatened, well, that's a natural fear. That's a natural kind of anxiety. So, when does that natural fear begin to move into something that becomes more interfering? Well, remember, our bodies can be a player in that, as we've said. But these demands and threats are a kind of a a test. And there's a sense in which the talk already this evening has reflected that, that test. Because the one being that we haven't really mentioned very much yet is God. And so it's true of anxiety and fear as well. They so easily overwhelm and engulf And become interfering fears that God gets pushed out. God somehow gets eclipsed. And that's why I think that the most common and important thing that God has to say again and again and again to us in our fear and our anxiety is I am here. I am with you. I will be with you always. God is with us. And that's the test. That's the test. Will we remember? Will we see Him? Will we hear Him? Will we turn to Him in our anxiety? Or to put it another way, God speaks His presence and His promises to us. Who are we going to listen to in the midst of all of these fears and demands and threats? Who or what will we trust in this world of demands and threats? Now, just as we're thinking about that, there's a question that comes up here, which is an important one. And in the midst of this, you might still be be, be thinking, uh, uh, you know, we've been thinking our way through this this evening, and the question might be cropping up for you Is my anxiety a sin? Is my anxiety a sin? Because God is is often saying to us, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. In the passage that John read, Paul says, be anxious for nothing. And it sounds very much like a command. Jesus says, do not worry. It, it, they sound like commands to be obeyed. And yet when you, when you read Jesus saying these things in the Sermon on the Mount, I say to you, do not worry, don't be anxious. Paul, as we read in Philippians 4, when you look at the surrounding verses, the tone is very, very different. Jesus doesn't speak to anxiety the way, for example, he speaks to anger, when he says that anger is like murder, and you can be guilty of hellfire. Instead, when he speaks about anxiety and worry, he surrounds it with encouragements. He surrounds it with with, with reasons to not worry. Look at the birds of the air. Look at the flowers of the field. Look at the Father who cares for you. Likewise, did you see in the passage that we read together from Philippians 4, Paul doesn't really speak in terms of warning when he's talking about not being anxious. He, he says instead in the next verse or two, he says, let's pray. Talk it over with God. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Pour out your need to Him. Pour out that heart of fear and worry to Him. He, and he said just before, he says, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. It could mean that the Lord is coming soon, but it, it, it seems that, that he, he's at least also recognizing that the Lord is near. And it certainly fits with all of those other promises that we find in the midst of anxiety. I am with you. You see, when God speaks to our anxiety, He's not warning us as if we are sinning. He's encouraging us as if we're suffering. And He encourages us, like little children, to remain in the Father's love in the midst of those threats that we're facing. He wants us to find this this answer to our fears in His presence and the reassurance of His care. I am with you. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Perhaps then the way that we see God speaking to our fears then is that it's this, it's this test for us as we, as we meet those dangers and threats. Fear is is a test in the face of those threats. What will you do when fear comes? Psalm 56 verse 3 says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. You see, being afraid is not sinful necessarily. It's an opportunity to put our trust in the Lord. And so let me briefly then think with you for a moment about how God speaks to our fears. How does, he, how does He invite us to put our trust in Him when we are facing our fears and facing these threats? Well, remember the fall, threat, and danger then enter in. And from there on, the message is do not fear. It begins in Genesis 15, verse 1. That's the first do not be afraid in the Bible, or do not fear. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Now, think about Abram's situation for a moment. Why on earth should Abram not be afraid? He's just left his home. How is he going to survive? He's out in the wilderness, out in the desert. How will he be protected? How is he going to have a family? He's going to grow old and have no children. All kinds of natural fears, understandable fears for Abram. And yet God says... Don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Now, God is real about the threats. God is not dismissing the threats that Abram is facing, and nor does God dismiss the threats that you face in your life. God is real about those things that you face. But God is real about the promise as well. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I am with you. Now, even just stop with that for a second. Who? Who? It says the word of the Lord came to Abram. Yahweh. I am who I am. There is no one bigger or greater than me, and I'm going to be your shield. That's what he's saying to Abram. I'm going to be your shield. God is real about the threats, but he's real about himself. Now think about your life for a moment. Think about whatever you are facing. What is it that what is it in your life that 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 brings up those feelings and experiences that I mentioned at the beginning? And think about this God. He says, I am with you. Not just just present. That would be amazing. But I am am with you. I am on your side. I am for you. God, and whatever you're facing in this life, whatever in your life is threatened, whatever losses you are facing, whatever feels vulnerable in your life, And this God is saying, this God is saying, I am with you. I am with you. And there's a challenge, isn't there, as we face these threats? To see God in this way, to think about God in this way, to see God as he really is. To, to face the, the threats and the realities and the things that make us anxious as they really are, but to see then this God as he really is, to hear his promise, and we see them when we think about when you think about that, then the greater danger here is not the, not the threat that you're facing. the greater danger is that by not believing and trusting in this God, somehow we make him out to be smaller than he is. Less holy than he is, less truthful than he is, less trustworthy than he is. The greater danger is that somehow we make God out to be smaller than the threat we're facing. And in a sense, that's what we we should really fear. And and there we seem to be moving into what Scripture means when it talks about the fear of the Lord. The right kind of fear is the fear of what could happen to God's glory in the midst of this. And who is this God that we fear? How do we fear this Lord who is with us? Well, He's a, uh, he's a God who hears. Paul says, don't be anxious, pour your heart out, talk it over with God. And this is a God then who is hearing you, who is listening whose ear is open to whatever you're facing. He not only hears, but he cares. He is a good and close and watching and sovereign shepherd. He feeds the birds of the air. He clothes the grass. How much much more will he not look after you and be your shield and care for you? The Lord is my shepherd. Caring in every detail of my life. He's not only a God who hears and cares, and of course, any one of these we could, we could go off and think more about, but He's a God who gives. He's, he's generous. He who spared not His own Son for you, how will He not freely give you all that you need if He didn't withhold His Son? you the most precious thing he had he is generous and so he gives everything that we need for each day give us this day our daily bread the the manna in the wilderness enough for each day his mercies are new every morning lamentations three he gives and of course he, he promises God's promises in the midst of fear come with this Essentially, this promise of himself, all that he is, all that he is, he gives to us. And he repeats it, and he repeats it, and he repeats it because he knows the, the fear comes in again, and the anxiety comes in again, and it, it, it engulfs and it blanks everything out, and that darkness overwhelms. And he comes in again with the light, and he says, I am with you, I am here. And we could run th- on through the Scripture. We come to, finally to, to 1 Peter 5. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time, casting all your anxiety in Him because He cares for you. It's a, he's with you, He's for you. The invitation is to cast it all upon Him. Well, as, as we come to a close this evening, let's think just briefly about how we, how we help one another we, we've thought a bit about the experience of anxiety. We've begun to see there how God speaks to our fears. Let's then think lastly about how we, how we help with anxiety. What do we do? Well, we, we, we move toward one another and, and we talk. We move toward one another and we talk. We can think about this under these words, love and know and speak and do. You may be familiar with that little way of thinking about how we do ministry, how we care for one another, how we, how we do the one anotherings. We love, we move toward one another, and we talk. What do we what do? We do? We, as we talk, we want to understand. You, you hear each other's stories. What's going on in a person's life? What are the demands and, and threats in this person's life? It's not the not the, the your leading question, but you're you're thinking what's happening for this person? What's going on for them? What are they facing? What can be causing anxiety for them? Maybe someone after the service tonight, they begin to share something with you and you you listen. You want to hear their experience. You say, This sounds hard for you. Tell me, tell me a bit more. We want to hear about what's happening. They, they, they're living in this world of threats and demands. We want to hear about what's happening in their life. We, we maybe even begin to hear about their anxiety, and we, we think about how it's affecting them in the way we've, we've, we've thought about it this evening. But of course, we want to get to the heart. We want to think about those fears. We want to hear about what's happening spiritually. How are you doing spiritually in this? How is the How is the Lord speaking to you in this? We're wanting to listen for the heart. And we want to listen in such a way that that your friend feels understood, that there's a connection. After my little video adventure, um, I was talking to a friend the next day. And as I talked it over with a friend, it it was so helpful because what came out is that... uh, there was something possibly for me going on in my heart about, about not looking polished and confident, about about maybe comparing with the other person who had, you know, nailed it with their video. So, something for me in that realm of pride, fear of man. That the idea, what came up actually in the conversation with my friend as we talked about it was that that I seem to be concerned about being perceived as competent, being perceived as, as capable. That, that seemed to be the brand of fear that was going on in my heart. That seemed to be the brand of, of fear of man at play. And it was so helpful to talk it over with with my friend. And of course, we want, as we, as we, as we talk things over, we, we want to we want to see how this struggle that they're having connects with Scripture. We want to see how it, how it connects with the Word of God. And remember, if you remember nothing else, remember that the main thing that God says to our fears is, I am with you. I am with you. And, and we want to be able to speak it to one another with, with encouragement because that's the way that Scripture speaks it to us. It, it speaks to us with encouragement. It's not with condemnation. It's not you shouldn't, you're a Christian, you shouldn't be feeling like this. That's not what the way that scripture talks to us. That's not the way the Lord talks to us about, about this. He says, He says, I am with you. I am with you. When, when you do that video, I am with you. In fact, more deeply, and of course, this is where it was helpful to think a bit more deeply about what was going on at those level of the at the level of the fears. More deeply the Lord is saying, I am with your reputation. Why are you worried about looking, looking competent and I am with you? Paul says, Be anxious for nothing. The, the, the Lord is at hand. I am I am near when you do the video. And and I am Lord over how it all goes. I'm I'm Lord over your performance. I'm Lord over your body and how it's responding. I'm Lord over how well you remember your words. I'm Lord over how dry your mouth gets and how you stumble over your words. I'm Lord over your reputation. The Lord is near. He is at hand. Now, Now, do you see how in that case... A fear of the Lord begins to displace a fear of man. And, and you might, perhaps if, if you were my friend and I was talking this over with me, you might, you might even begin to say some of these things with me. You might say these things or you might, you might pray them with me. We might turn to the Lord together. We love, we know, we speak, and then finally, we we do, we do. Um, Remember we are embodied souls. I I hope that has come across this evening. Our bodies have strengths and weaknesses, and so so we pay attention to our bodies as well as we are thinking about anxiety. Uh, Things like, like breathing well, learning breathing, exercises, relaxation. Uh, resting if you notice anxiety rising in your life you know resting exercising being careful about what you eat actually Helen mentions these things well in 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 her book and sometimes even medication and of course medication why not if we are embodied souls our faith is still in the Lord but why might medication at times perhaps not be be helpful in cases where fear is really interfering and we're not able to other measures are not helping ways of dealing with our bodies by faith what's the goal in all of this the goal i don't think is to be anxiety free sorry Uh, the goal is not to be anxiety free i think this side of heaven one day believe it or not we will be without fear what will that be like (laughs) What would it be like to, to, to not feel anxious about anything one day? That, that, that is ahead of us. Uh, we can certainly, I think, uh, uh, the Lord can grow us in ways where anxiety becomes less of a dominating factor in our lives. But the goal, it seems, is not so much to be anxiety-free. The goal seems to be, I am with you. Trust me. That, that seems to be the goal that the Lord is aiming for in the midst of our anxieties. And from that then, that, from that faith in the Lord, comes the fruit of a what I would call a courageous love, a courageous love. Some of the most, I think, courageous people that I have met in this life have also been the most anxious people. <laughs> um, the goal, a courageous love. How then can we bring all of this together uh, this evening? What are we saying in terms of how we then help someone with anxiety? How might you speak to me um, in in, in my anxieties? The soul is at play, the body is at play. We live in this world of demands and threats. My outer man is, is wasting away. Bodily weaknesses are going to be recognized, spoken to with compassion and encouragement. Encouraging a submission to the Lord who distributes our strengths and our weaknesses. Our inner man is being renewed daily. Our hearts want to be encouraged with, I am with you. And and in the midst of our vulnerability, to find a dependence on the Lord that that at times will feel both hard and sweet, and I think that was after my experience a couple of weeks ago and talking it over with my friend afterwards. Again, it was a small slice of life, but even out of that little experience, it felt like there, there was a dependence on the Lord that at the same time felt both hard, vulnerable in that sense, but was also very, very sweet and something that I would want to, want to grow in. And you see, folks, it's that dependence on the Lord in the midst of our anxiety that is the peace He gives. That's the peace that He gives. I was struck both by our reading in Philippians 4 and also the reading from John that Nigel read, where our Lord is appearing. It's interesting that after our Lord appeared, after the resurrection, He, he on both occasions, he greets with, peace be with you. And it seems that that, that that is the goal. It's that peace which is not necessarily always anxiety-free, but it's a peace that is vertical. It's a dependence on the Lord that is vulnerable but good. A peace with him that can't be taken from you. And we'll finish just with some words from John, I think, they're on the last slide. This is the peace that Jesus is talking about in John. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid.